So go ahead and open up your notes. We are going to jump right in to this first lesson. Can't wait to get started here. If you have your Bibles, uh, we have a lot of verses to go through tonight. Tonight's topic is this, understanding salvation and eternal security. Now, we know that for some, these words may be common. For others, it may not be. So we're going to go through this. We're going to explain the basics, and we're going to explain deeper so we understand uh, more of the, the deeper concepts here. Uh, in each one of these sections, we want to have some key terms for you. I'm not going to read through all those key terms. We will teach through them throughout the lesson. But if you, if you hear a word and you don't really know what it is, chances are it's going to be in the key terms. And that'll probably help you on your quiz as well and your assignments. Um, so let's hop right here. I'm going to walk through this. Some of it I'm going to read. Some I'm, I'm going to teach through and explain. So um, we're talking about understanding salvation. Salvation uh, is when the Christian life begins for a person. Salvation uh, has been called the miracle of a moment. Uh, in, in, in a moment of faith, you can be saved. And tonight, we're going to talk about that. When we talk about uh, discipleship, following Jesus, it doesn't start until you have salvation, okay? Uh, you need salvation. We're going to go uh, talk through why you need that. Um, the importance of understanding salvation. This is so interesting to me as I was preparing um, there's a really incredible book. It's called A Systematic Theology. If you say, I want to learn more, this book here, which I cited, is really awesome for you to get. It just goes through different doctrines of the Bible and can help you understand them. Uh, but there's two instances in the New Testament where uh, there is a curse pronounced on Christians for failing to do something. Interesting, right? One is in 1 Corinthians 16, where there's this... Um, negative uh, curse coming toward us for not loving the Lord, okay? Uh, to love the Lord our God, right? This is, this is uh, one thing we're to do. But the other curse is on those that would preach a gospel other than the gospel of the grace of God. If there's another gospel that you preach, we're going to talk about what that means. But here's the thing. We are to be messengers of the gospel, we, we've been going through this series on salt and light. You have this calling to go into all the world. You're supposed to talk to your family, your neighbors, people at work about Jesus. And if you don't know about Jesus, well, you can't share anything about Jesus. And so we're going to try to make this something that is educational to you. Hopefully some things just click and you get these things. And uh, I promise for you in the back, we will have more tables and all the resources for you next week. I feel really bad, but uh, I'm glad that you all came today. Uh, all right. Questions being answered tonight. And I'm going to, uh, some would call this, you're going to be drinking from a fire hydrant. Okay. Uh, you're, there's a lot of information, a lot to cover. We're going to talk about why is salvation necessary for mankind? What it, why is it even necessary? How can a person be saved? Okay. We're going, to, we're going to clarify that, clear it up, help you understand that. What does salvation accomplish? There's so many benefits to you and changes that take place in your life, in your heart, when you trust Jesus as your Savior. And then we're going to answer the question, how can we have confidence that our salvation is secure forever? 
Uh, can you lose your salvation once you get it, or can't you? And how can you know? Okay, uh, go ahead and flip to the next page if you have that there. Why is salvation necessary for mankind? Number one here, salvation is necessary. When I say necessary, it's needed. You've got to have it because of sin. Sin. Sin is that word for the Christian that we learn to hate. We hate that word. It hurts us. It has caused us harm. It keeps us from God. It keeps us from all the good things that we really want in life. And it also is the main reason why we need to be saved. Because of sin. Because of man's sinfulness and helplessness, someone else had to step in and aid him if he was to find acceptance and fellowship with a holy God. There is a problem between us and God, and it is a problem of sin. Let me explain to you what sin is. Uh, sin, I've got a couple Greek words here. Uh, you can read those. But uh, the, the meaning of sin is simply to fall short, uh, to miss the mark. Uh, if you think about archery, and um, uh, this reminds me, coming up for Father's Day, we're going to have an axe-throwing mobile unit. That's pretty cool, right? Uh, we're going to have an axe-throwing unit. Imagine you're trying to throw an axe and hit the target. That's your goal, right? Sin is simply missing the mark. You, you're trying to hit a target, but you just can't get there. In this case, when we talk about sin, sin is failing to live up to God's standard of perfection. The fact that God is perfectly holy, sinless, without sin, not even a spot of sin is in Him. And so when we sin, it's simply saying we can't measure up to God. Now that's something we can all agree that we all know that. Nobody is perfect. Nobody is uh, completely righteous. In both the Greek and Hebrew, sin is seen as a failure to live up to God's standard of perfection. It is a state of being that separates us from God. We are sinners. It's, it's an identity. When we're born, we're born sinners. Sin can be both personal and corporate. We, we could be sinners uh, doing sinful things together. You can be a sinner. Uh, you can commit sin. Uh, you can even sin by not doing something you're supposed to do. Sin is a big problem. Let me explain to you a little bit deeper about sin. Uh, number one down here, sin entered through Adam's disobedience. You hear this, you hear about lying, you hear about cheating, you hear about adultery, you hear about fornication, you hear about sin and coming, disease coming from sin. Well, where did it all start? We, we have an answer in the Bible of where this, all this junk started. All the stuff that is messing with your family and my family and it's in the world and it affects your relationship with God. It all started through one man's sin, and that was Adam. Adam was the first man. And uh, the Bible says in Romans 5.12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. In Genesis chapter 2, the Lord God took the man. This is that creation story. He says he put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. Gave him this job. Hey, Adam, take care of the garden. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, realize he commanded. He didn't suggest. He didn't say, hey, this is a pretty good idea. He, he gave a clear command. He says, of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. Eat whatever you want, Adam. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. 
For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Sin entered into the world, and death by sin. God gave a command. Adam broke that command. And as the Bible teaches, Adam, he's our representative. Uh, you know, you, you elect a representative here. Uh, we didn't get to elect this guy, Adam, and uh, he sinned, okay? That, that's what he did. We, we just reap the consequences of that sin. Uh, God said, don't eat of the tree. They ate of the tree. And uh, the next point here, sin has separated us from God and made us deserving of his wrath. This sin is not a little problem with God. God is perfectly holy. And this sin is perfectly evil. Okay? God, this is is anti-God. This is anti-Christ. This is the opposite of holiness. It's sinfulness. And the Bible says in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. No longer could mankind be perfect because of Adam's sin. Now they fall short. They miss the mark. God created them perfect, but they messed it all up. We call that the fall, the fall of mankind. Isaiah 59, verse 1 and 2 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Uh, There's this problem we find ourselves in before salvation of being under the wrath of God, meaning, hey, we sinned and we have punishment coming our way. Does that make sense, y'all? In John 3.36, the Bible says this, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. That's great. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. So if you come into this world and you're born and you grow up, you... You don't have to do anything to earn God's wrath. You, you, the wrath of God already abides on you because you're a non-believer. You do not believe. You've inherited this sin nature. It's passed down from Adam uh, down to your great, 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 great grandfather and all the way down through mankind. We inherit this sin nature. And this sin nature gets us to a point where God's wrath is coming. You, you could call it pending judgment. You could call it doom. Whatever it is. It is the fact that we have a problem between us and God, and that problem has to be taken care of. Every person born into the world stands condemned before God because, number one, Adam's sinfulness is passed down, and also, number two, they all commit sins of their own as the inevitable consequence of a sinful nature. You do not have to teach little kids how to lie, how to steal, how to be selfish, how to throw a tantrum. You, that stuff you did, like, you picked that up naturally. That's your sin nature. You picked it up naturally. So we have this sin nature that, that leads us to do what God doesn't want us to do. We're, we're tempted to lie. We're tempted to lust. We're tempted to cheat. We're tempted to do things that are selfish, be angry with people, hate people. That's what we're tempted to do. So not only do we have sinful nature, we have sins that we commit. Does that make sense? Uh, it's not just... That, oh man, I'm a sinner because Adam sinned. No, no, you sinned too. And it's not me pointing a finger and saying like, you're the only one that sinned. No, every person in this room, look around, look around. Every one of these people are sinners from birth. You bunch of sinners, right? That's who we are. That's who we are. And the faster that you can be willing to admit to get rid of your pride and be willing to admit that that's who you are, the better off you'll be. Um, and we're going to learn here that Jesus came not to call the righteous, but sinners 
to repentance. Uh, it, it's, it's that recognition. Before you can ever experience salvation, you've got to experience the, just the understanding. And the, it's really a conviction of God where God speaks to your heart and He says, you know what? That's true. You are a sinner. You have lied. You have not put me first. You have c- committed adultery. You have uh, whatever the sin is, taking the Lord's name in vain. You go through the list of God's perfection and we all fall short. Are you with me on that? Does that make sense? Okay. Uh, there's this word called depravity used to talk about this. The idea is that mankind's entire being is corrupted and he can never do anything that would merit saving favor with God. The position we find ourselves in in Isaiah 64, 6 says, all our righteousness are as filthy rags. The idea is if you tried, you tried your best, you, you, you gave money uh, to poor people, you helped old ladies across the street, you showed up to church every Sunday, you gave to buy a Bible at the discipleship deep dive, whatever you do, none of those good deeds will ever earn you favor with God. That's what the Bible says. You don't earn it at all. Uh, you find yourself in a position where you have nothing to pay. Jesus even told a parable about that, about these debtors. And the idea was that, that these debtors had a debt they owed and they had nothing to pay. Not anything they could do could pay the debt that they had. And we have this sin debt, this, this punishment that's pending. Uh, Romans 3.10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Not one. Let's get this straight. Uh, somebody shout out, name somebody that's known for being really good. Mother Teresa, sinner, okay? Name another one. We're getting to him, Mark. Chris Andrews, sinner, sinner. Listen, Billy Graham, sinner. The Pope, sinner. Every human being in history has this sinfulness in them and they commit sin if you don't think they're sinning they're just faking you out they got you fooled and uh they're prideful and lying to you listen to this verse in romans three eleven: there is none that understandeth there is none that seeketh after god they are all gone out of the way they are together become unprofitable there is none that doeth good no not one no one does right all the time we are all in the same boat we're all sinners Now, that is the best starting point because when we get to the end of this, we got good news for sinners, okay? Uh, Let's continue on here. This bad news gets a little worse, okay? Um, here's, Here's the truth. The Bible teaches that hell is the punishment for sin, but that was not intended for mankind. How many of you, raise your hand, have heard of hell before? Heard of hell before? Okay, some of you, you learn that word hell is just like some of your parents used to say to you, and you're like, then you figured out it was a place. Um, well, the thing is, it was a place, all right? It's a, it's a physical, literal place that's described in the Bible. Hell is described in the Bible as a real place that those who do not receive salvation go for all eternity. Uh, there's a verse reference cited there, Luke 16, tells a story. It's the, one of the best insights of somebody that we know that went to hell uh, went and he was there and he describes that hell though this is something you you need to know hell was not created for you it was not created for you god did not make hell and he did not plan to send you there okay 
He, he, did, not, he did not create it for that purpose. He did create it. The Bible says in, in Matthew, 5, 20, uh, Matthew uh, 25, 41, Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Uh, we, we believe there is a devil. Uh, we'll probably teach more about him in later sessions. But the idea is that this devil is a fallen angel and God prepared a place of punishment for them. But the problem is, God made a way for you to be saved. He made a way. He, 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 we're going to learn He paid a way. He paved the way. He made it there. He's, he's sending out preachers to tell you he's, he's got His Word to guide you toward salvation. But if you don't receive it, though it's available to you, you still stand at the, at the end of your life. When you die, you stand before God and you stand unforgiven. You stand in that same position you were born into, still a sinner, uh, still have your sin nature, and you stand under the wrath of God and you will face that punishment, then that should really move us to, um, to action as Christians. And really, uh, that's, that's very serious. Revelation 21.8 says, The fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers and the whoremongers, the sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Descriptions of hell include fire, weeping, torments, just it's tormentive to your, to your soul, to your mind, darkness, actually outer darkness, separation from God. It talks about a second death. The fact there is no God there, there is no hope there, there is no way to come back. We learn that in the Bible, that once you go, there is no... Uh, after this life, there's not a do-over. You don't get a second chance. You get one chance right here on this earth. Hell is a biblical and literal reality, not a fictional place. Okay, so that's the, uh, that's the bad news. And that's why we need to be saved, okay? We, we, need, uh, we need to be saved. And I, I remember when I, when I first heard this, I, I knew I needed to be saved. I, I knew, like, okay, so tell me what to do now. And that's where we're going right now. How can a person be saved? How can a person be saved? Salvation is made possible through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? Amen. All right. You guys are still with me. Here we go. We're diving deep. Jesus was uniquely qualified to be offered as a sacrifice for sinners. You've got Jesus coming onto the scene. And I don't know how much you know about him, but when it comes to Jesus, he's not like everybody else. We say we're in the same boat. We're all sinners. He is not in the same boat. He was in a boat, but he's not a sinner, okay? He's not in this same boat as us like this. Jesus was uniquely qualified. Let me explain some things about Jesus. Uh, He was the substitute. Jesus the substitute. Jesus came, uh, the Bible teaches he was born of a virgin. He, he never inherited the sin nature. And Jesus came uh, to be a substitute for us. He, he was there to be in our place. 1 Peter 3.18. So, so let me explain uh, clear. We deserve wrath. Jesus says, I'm going to come and fulfill that wrath. I'm going I'm to do that. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins. The just, which is the righteous one, right? For the unjust, which is us, that he might bring us to God. Jesus, he, he's righteous and we're not righteous. And he says, I'm going to take their place to bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the spirit. That's good news. 
2 Corinthians 5, 21 says this, For he, this he is God the Father, for he hath made him, which is Jesus, to be sin for us. Jesus was perfect. Jesus was holy. He came to this earth, and the Bible says God gave him for this purpose of becoming sin in our place. It says, who knew no sin. That means Jesus never lied. It means Jesus never stole. Jesus never lusted. Jesus never took God's name in vain. Jesus never did all this stuff that we do, okay? Uh, he, he was perfect. He, was, he knew no sin. He had no knowledge of sin. He didn't do that that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Jesus came to make a way for the unjust to become just, okay? And He did it by being a substitute. The virgin birth made it possible for Jesus to be sinless. Jesus was God in human flesh. Uh, there's a term here I want to define for you. Uh, many call this the substitutionary atonement. That's a big one. Can you say it? Ready? One, two, three substitutionary atonement. Hey, if you never repeat that again, it's okay. You're just going to learn it here, okay? Um, here's what it means. is that Christ's death on the cross was a substitutionary atonement, meaning that He died in our place to pay the penalty for our sins. I, I heard one preacher say, uh, many have died for you. People die in this country in military for you, for your freedoms, uh, for you to enjoy blessings. They die for you. But there's only one that died for your sin, okay? There's only one that could die for your sin, and that's Jesus, the substitute. Uh, next, we got Jesus as the satisfaction. There's a word in the Bible. It is propitiation, or propitiation, or however you want to say it. Just say it. It's the P word, okay? Whatever that P word is, you have notes now, okay? Propitiation. This word means the satisfaction of God's wrath on sin. So God says, Sin deserves to be punishment. There is hell to pay, in other words. There, there's this punishment. It is hell. Who's going to pay it? Yeah. Well, how do we know that Jesus was enough to pay it? That's what this word propitiation means. It means I'm satisfied. It's like if, you're, if you tell your kid, you're, you're not going to go to this place unless you clean your room. And then they start cleaning their room and they're like, is this good enough? Uh, if, if, it's, if it's not good enough, then they haven't, they haven't been the propitiation. They're not satisfied, right? He's not a satisfaction. Jesus is a satisfaction incomplete for God's wrath that was uh, on me and on you. First John 2, 2 says, He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus came, and when He died on the cross, his, his sacrifice, His offering, the shedding of His blood, which we'll see here, was enough to satisfy God's wrath for the whole world. Okay? Every single person, everyone. It's right there in 1 John 2, 2. 1 John 4, 10. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Amen. When God looked down on you as a sinner... He didn't be like, I don't like these people, forget them, uh, let's get rid of them. He looked down and he says, I love them so much, I'm going to send my son to satisfy my wrath that's on them. He, he recognized our state and he sent a satisfaction, Jesus Christ. And we have Jesus Christ then, the sacrifice. Jesus, the sacrifice. Uh, this, this means Jesus was offered in love by God as a spotless lamb for the forgiveness of the sins of the world. Uh, this this uh, 
name of Jesus, the Lamb of God, we see in John 1, 29. Then, uh, or the, the next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Uh, in the Old Testament, there's this whole practice of making sacrifices on behalf of the sin of people. It's, it's common. It's something that they did. It was understood. Jesus is this, this sacrifice. Instead of just once a year or once a month, he was a sacrifice once for all. Okay? One and done. That's all we need. Uh, Hebrews 9.12, Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by His own blood, Jesus' actual physical shed blood on the cross, He entered once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Jesus' blood was shed on the cross. He was the sacrifice, okay? Um, and when we refer to Him as such, Jesus, our sacrifice, our spotless Lamb. Um, Let's continue. We've got a lot to go through. Salvation through Jesus is the only way to bridge the gap between us and God and be reconciled to Him. Listen, uh, how many of you watch TV? Raise your hand. Okay, some of you. Some of you just don't like to raise your hand. How many of you watch TV? Raise your hand. Okay, great. Uh, how many of you watch YouTube videos sometimes? Raise your hand. Okay, if you watch any sort of uh, mainstream TV, if you watch any YouTube videos, if you ever watch the news, people in this world believe that if you get to God with that you can get to God through your own belief. Um, you know, uh, the, the people in Africa, they have a belief. And you know what? As long as they're sincere, they're going to be okay. Uh, Oprah in, in the past was a, a big proponent of this, this idea of ways to God, that God is somehow at the top of a mountain. And that if, if you have your path up the mountain, and I have my path up the mountain, that might be Jesus, we're all going to get there in our own sincere way. And I will tell you that the Bible leaves no room for any explanation like that. Uh, salvation is exclusively through Jesus. Acts 4 verse 12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must, must, you have to be saved through Jesus, okay? If you want forgiveness of sin, if you want to be saved, it's only available through Jesus, okay? There's no other way. John 14, 6, Jesus himself, if you say, well, I don't believe it, uh, that, that passage wasn't written by Jesus, that was a, a man that God used to write that, well, there's Jesus quoted right here. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way. He didn't say, I am one of the ways, I am a way. He said, I am the way, the truth, the life, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. And if you don't understand that, we've got to open our ears, right? That's where uh, Jesus says, he that have ears to hear, let him hear. Is it hard to hear? It is hard to hear, but it's true. There is only one way to God. There's only one way to this heaven, this hope that we have described in the Bible. Uh, this one way to be forgiven, and that is through Jesus. It's exclusive. Hebrews 9.22, And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no remission. Uh, even Jesus in, in that garden, he was saying, God, uh, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. He was saying, God, I'm about to go to the cross and this is going to be difficult. And he was going to bear the weight of this, the, the, the sins of the world on him. And he said, if there's any other way, make this cup pass from me. Let me not like, have to go through this. There was no other way. This is the way. This is the only way. And we need to understand that. There are no other ways for a person to be saved, not many ways to God, only one. Okay? 
Uh, if, that is so important, uh, especially in this day and age. And sometimes that is really hard to tell somebody. Um, people hear things over and over and over. If you hear a lie over and over and over, you believe a lie. And it's just not the truth. Because I don't make up the truth. You don't get to make up the truth. We read the truth in the Bible. Okay? Does that make sense? All right. Let's continue. Salvation, not only is it exclusive through Jesus, salvation cannot be earned by our own works or efforts. It is a gift that is freely given to us by God through Jesus Christ. Let me explain. There is nothing, 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 no good deed that you can do whereby God looks down at you and says, hey, great, you're doing great. I'm going to forgive you because you're so good. You're so good. You're so nice. You, you, I, I realize how hard it was for you to forgive that person. And because you forgave that person, I'm, you know what? You're good enough. Come on in. That's not how it works. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. This is so important. Uh, if, if, I'm just curious. Was anyone in here ever raised Catholic? It's okay to raise your hand. Okay, great. I'm glad you're here. This verse is huge. For any, um, any belief system that is very religious, meaning you have things you need to remember to do, and um, those things are taught to say, if you do these things, then, then you can attain God's favor or God's forgiveness. Well, that's not how it works. This verse says, for by grace are ye saved. Grace is God's unmerited favor. Grace is something you, you, you're given, but you did nothing to earn. Okay, For by grace are ye saved through, through the means of faith. God is so good to you, He's going to give you something you don't deserve, and it's going to be received through the means of faith. Simple belief and trust. And that not of yourselves... It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So um, when we all get to heaven, and I hope we all get to heaven, right? Hope we're all going to get there. I'm going to tell you how, and I really hope everyone in here is saved. But when we all get to heaven, oh, we're, imagine we're standing around heaven, and, and we look to the person next to us, and, and they say, well, how did you get here? And you say, I was a member, a member, a I mean, I was at Fellowship Baptist Church from day one. I was a member, and that's how I got here. Nope, nope it's not going to work. Not by works. What if the person says, I gave millions. I worked a business. I gave millions of dollars to, to, to help people get water into, uh, to help people make adoptions happen, and I gave to charity. It's not going to happen. Not of works, lest any man should boast. In heaven, there is no boasting. In yourself, you're not. No one's going to get up there and say, "I got there because I was such a good giver, or I was so nice to people, or everybody in my family loved me, or I paid for my kids' college, or I always paid my bills on time." None of those things earn you any goody points with God. It doesn't happen that way. Salvation is by grace through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift, not of works. When we get to heaven, we're simply going to get up there and say, "The fact that we're there, not of our own works." Because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. He did all the work, okay? He was the, the sacrifice. He was the substitute. We get up there. We don't boast. We, we simply defer what happened in this, this glory to God, the fact that He did everything. Nobody gets to heaven because they're good works. Salvation is a gift from God. Let me explain a gift. A gift, uh, we have little cards on the table. Uh, that gift 
It, it, we give it to you, right? Imagine somebody at Christmas time gets you something and they, they put it in a, in a nice little package with a bow on it and they give it to you. You don't have to pay for that gift. Now, if you're a father or a husband, sometimes you're probably like, yeah, I buy everyone gifts and I buy myself gifts too. You know what? That's not what I'm talking about. A gift is something that someone else pays for. They paid the price, they made it happen, and they're, they're offering it to you. And it's something you receive freely. That's what salvation is described as in Romans 6, 23 and in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For the wages of sin is death. We earn death, the separation from God, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We have this gift offered to us. It's eternal life. It's salvation. It's not something we pay for. It's already paid for. It's already given. Uh, it's already done. If you define works, you can define works as anything you can do trying to earn favor with God. If you say, I'm doing this thing because I think it'll make God like me more, you're trying to work to earn God's favor. Let me just spell out some things. According to the scripture, baptism does not save you. You say, I got in that water in that church that one day. They gave me a certificate. Well, that's not going to get you in heaven. Uh, you might have gotten that water, and we just pay for the water. It's Columbus water. It's not anything special, and it's a work. It's, it's not because you did something. Church attendance, uh, if you come to the Discipleship Deep Dive all 10 weeks, we may, you may earn a, a reward for perfect attendance or something like that, but it doesn't earn you salvation. Salvation is paid for only through Christ. It's a gift you receive. Uh, any good deeds or religious ceremony. It doesn't matter how many certain prayers you say, how many times you go to a confession, which we don't do confession here because it's not in the Bible. You confess to God, but we'll, we'll continue in that another day. Uh, religious ceremony, anything religious. You say, I did all this stuff so sincerely. I went to all of this stuff. I, I went to these classes. I did. Listen, none of that earns you favor with God. God's not a respecter of persons. He doesn't look at you and say, oh, you're so good and you did this thing. No, you're saved, not of works, lest any man should boast. It is a gift of God. Uh, let's continue. Uh, salvation is received through faith alone in Jesus Christ. So, okay, I understand salvation. Uh, I understand like, okay, Jesus is a substitute. He died on the cross. He paid my penalty. Um, there's a gift waiting for me while I'm under God's wrath. I get that. Well, how do I, how do I, how does it get to me? How, how do I get this? Through faith. Through faith. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we are forgiven of our sins and brought into a right relationship with God. Faith is simply trust. Trust in Jesus Christ as the Savior. You realize that you're not going to save yourself by being religious you're not going to save yourself by trying really hard. You realize the only way you're going to get saved is the fact that you realize Jesus is the Savior. And He died, was buried, and rose again. And you believe that by faith. You receive Him by faith. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we are declared righteous. We are, we are made righteous by our faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you do not have peace with God. I would guess that in a room this size, there's someone in here that you don't have peace with God, that, that this relationship with God, it's just not a thing for you. You're new to this. Uh, maybe some of you are new to a relationship with God. The way that this sin gap, this sin problem gets made right, you can finally have peace with God, is when you say, I'm just going to trust Him by faith, that He died for me and He did everything necessary. 
Galatians 2.16 says, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. If you tried to keep all the Ten Commandments, first of all, the point of the Ten Commandments is to show you that you can't keep the Ten Commandments. The Bible says it's a schoolmaster to bring you to Christ. It's a teacher. If the Bible didn't say, Thou shalt not lust, how would I know that I was lusting? If the Bible didn't say, Thou shalt not lie, how would you know what a lie is? And every time you hear the law, you realize I can't keep the law. And that's what the Bible is saying here. You're not justified by the works of the law. If you kept them all, which you can't, you're not going to be made righteous you're made righteous by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even when we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. It's like, in case you didn't understand it, uh, he's going to say like three times in the same verse. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. What about repentance? How many of you have heard the word repentance before? Repentance. Repentance. Repent. You see it uh, a lot of times. You see it on YouTube videos, ball games, uh, and the street corners. You'll see these guys, they got signs. Repent, repent. Um, Jesus was the first street preacher. He was doing that stuff. He was saying repent. But here's, here's what repentance is. I want to explain it to you because it can get confused, confusing. Repentance, uh, for the simplest definition I can give for tonight, and there's, this is going to be a whole lesson, uh, it's turning away from sin and turning to God. Let me explain. Repentance is biblical. It's, it's found in the Bible. There's a lot of verses where it says we need to repent. And these verses, uh, it's biblical and it is necessary for salvation. But here's the thing. Repentance and faith are like two sides of the same coin. They are stuck together. They are happening in the same moment. They are the same thing. Okay? Repentance uh, is shown by your faith. True repentance. When you repent, you are exercising your faith. Let's, let me explain with some verses here. Mark 2.17 when Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. He's saying, if you don't realize you're a sinner, you don't, you don't need Jesus. But if you realize you're a sinner, you, you know you need Jesus. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus is coming to you not so you can have heaven as like a ticket to heaven and be the exact same sinful person, He's coming to you for a change. He's coming to change you from the inside out. He's coming to see you uh, born again. You, you completely change from the inside out. And that happens in a heart change. It happens at the moment of faith. When you turn from how you're living, you turn from what you believe, and you turn to God. It's, it's a change. Many would call this a change of mind, which results in a change of action, a change of heart that uh, makes a change of lifestyle. This is a repentance. Jesus said, uh, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. They happen at the same time. Uh, this, this, is, this is true. You, there is an inward change. And if you never have any change towards sin, uh, the Bible would indicate you would need to question whether or not you truly had salvation and repentance. Okay, uh, let's continue because I have a lot to get through. Who can be saved? Everybody. Raise your hand. Everybody raise your hand. You can be saved. Everyone can be saved. There is no one that has sinned too bad that can't be saved. Everyone can be saved. Salvation is available to all. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. 
you're a whosoever, your neighbor's a whosoever, doesn't matter what color you are, doesn't matter what country you're from, doesn't matter where you're at, how much money you have, whosoever. This verse teaches that God's love is for the whole world. Now let me, let me here's a, a point of, of understanding, not just a select few. 2 Peter 3.9, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as, as some men count slackness. This verse is talking about people were like, why hasn't Jesus come back yet? He said He's coming back. When is He coming back? Well, He's not like, like being lazy or procrastinating. Um, he's long-suffering to us. We're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Um, the idea here is that God wants every person to be saved, and He's giving everyone time. He's given you today. He's given you time to receive Him by faith. Uh, he's not slack, he's, uh, but he, he wants all. He will that all should come to repentance. Uh, this verse teaches that God is patient and does not anyone to perish. He doesn't want any person to go to hell ever. God desires every person to be saved. Uh, let me explain this. Jesus died for every person, not just the elect. There are verses in the Bible that describe election and foreknowledge. We're not getting into that tonight. But these verses, many would take to construe and say, hey, listen, if God uses this word elect in the English Bible and God uses this word foreknowledge, then probably God thought about it beforehand and he said, well, I'm only going to die for the people that I know are going to be saved and um, only the people that I, I pick are going to be saved. He picks people to hell and picks people to heaven. Uh, so be careful with words like election and teachings of Calvinism because they can lead you to a conclusion and believe that Jesus only died for a few. And that would be uh, heretical and erroneous. And the idea is that God does not choose people to hell and to heaven. He died for all. He has a, a salvation available to all. And whoever will can come and be saved. Okay? First uh, John 2, 2, again, he's the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only but also for the sins of the whole world. So when we go and we witness, when we talk to people, we don't in our mind say, well, maybe they're not chosen and maybe they are chosen. No, no, that's not how it works. God died for every person and every person has equal opportunity to be saved should they believe the gospel, or repent and accept Christ by faith. Okay, uh, and that's, that's so important. This can mess you up as a Christian, this whole doctrine here of um, thinking that God only chooses certain people to heaven and certain people to hell. What does salvation accomplish? When you get saved, there's some awesome, you could call them benefits, you could call them changes, you could call them a whole bunch of stuff, okay? But when you get saved, there's some really cool things that happen. Uh, first, firstly, salvation places you into the family of God. How many of you are glad to be part of a church family? Raise your hand. This is awesome. Church family. When you get saved, you, you were outside of the family, and now you're inside of the family. Uh, some people say this, this thing, it's not true. We're all God's children. No, we're not all God's children. Uh, he actually told people that they were of their father, the devil. Uh, the idea is you're not automatically just part of the family. You're actually unsaved, an enemy of God, right? Uh, but when we receive him in, first, uh, I'm sorry, in John 1, 12, as many as receive him to them gave he power to become the sons of God even to them that believe on his name. Uh, we, we receive this adoption of sons in Galatians chapter 4, and we get to call God Abba Father. Uh, he becomes our dad, our spiritual dad, when we get saved. That's awesome. Uh, next, salvation makes you righteous before God. You used to be a sinner. Now you're made righteous. 
Uh, so don't go on thinking about yourself as, oh, I'm such a terrible, filthy, wretched sinner. No, you are a forgiven sinner. You are now made righteous. When God looks at you, he doesn't look at you as filthy, wretched, dirty, ugly. He doesn't look at your mistakes. He sees the fact that Jesus' blood was applied to your account and Jesus makes you righteous. So when God sees you, he doesn't see you any other way than perfectly righteous. Now, you may still sin on earth, and we have a whole session about what to do when you sin and how do you relate to God coming up here in several weeks. But the idea is that when you stand before God, your identity is one of justified. Now, this is a good way to remember justification. Just as if I'd never sinned, okay? Justified. Just as if I'd never sinned. Justification. Being declared righteous by God. It's when God, like a judge, says, you know what? You're no longer a sinner. You are declared righteous. That's who you are, and it's not going to change. Uh, Next, salvation brings life to your spirit and makes you a new creation. You're not dead in your trespasses and sins anymore. You're now made alive, right? Uh, Except a man, uh, John 3, 3, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Uh, We've got to be born again. This is terminology dealing with salvation. You were born by your mother, naturally. You were born into sin. Well... When you get saved, the Bible says you're born again. You become a new creation, a new creature. You're part of a new family, a part of the kingdom of God. 2 Corinthians 5.17, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. They're done. They're all done. Forget that stuff. Uh, behold, all things are become new. Now, a lot of people want to turn over a new leaf, but they're trying to do it without being saved. You can't turn over a new leaf and get a new lease on life unless you get a new life. And that's new life in Christ. So that's really important. Uh, Next, Holy Spirit comes to live inside you. There's so many things. Right at the moment of salvation, uh, the Bible says, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own? For you're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. The Holy Spirit, This is uh, we have a whole uh, night on the Holy Spirit in, I think, two weeks. Not next week, but the week after. Um, Pastor Tony's teaching that lesson. Uh, The Holy Spirit indwells you. He lives with you. He helps you. He comforts you. He guides you. He teaches you God's word. Uh, It's awesome. Uh, Next, you you begin a journey of becoming like Christ. Let me explain two words. One is sanctification. You ever heard that word before? Sanctification. So justification happens right at the moment of salvation. You're you're righteous. Okay, that's that's who you are. That's how you are. That's how God sees you. Sanctification is that process. When you say, hey, he's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. You know that song? You know, teach the kids that song? I don't know it very well. But you teach it to your kids. Anyway, this song, that's the process. I'm ever becoming more like Jesus in this life. I have sinful flesh still. I may be spiritually whole, spiritually uh, uh, righteous, but I still am learning to live out the Bible. Um, That would also be this process of discipleship, learning from and following Jesus Christ with your life. Uh, And the last thing here is that you have the promise of eternal life, eternal life. We call this glorification. Uh, And let me move into our last section here, and I'm going to explain this. So when you get saved, this is something, this eternal life is something you get at that moment. You are having currently eternal life right now if you're saved. You have eternal life. Uh, How can we have confidence that our salvation is secure forever? Because the Bible says salvation is eternal. God promises that. 
Once we are saved, we're saved forever. Our salvation cannot be lost. Eternal security means that it's the assurance we have once, once we're saved that this salvation will never be lost again. We're always saved. Once saved, always saved. John 10, 28. Uh, this is uh, in your, your verse that you're going to memorize with your kids and your teens. I, uh, my sheep hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life. Now, somebody tell me, and I'm going to wrap this up, how long is eternal? Forever. He gives you eternal life. Other passages call it everlasting life. This life never ends. It's a Greek tense. In the present tense, it means you have it at that moment. And if you have forever life, and God says you have forever life, if somehow you could lose it, or you could make yourself lose it, or you, He could take it away, or somebody else could take it away, that would mean it wasn't forever life, okay? God's promise is clear, and God's promise is true. Eternal life never ends. And here's what you need to know. You weren't saved by your own works. You were saved by God's power. He died for you. You didn't, you didn't die for yourself. You didn't do good deeds to save yourself. Well, you also don't do good deeds to stay saved. Okay, uh, you began by faith and you will end uh, by faith in God's promises. God promises no one can take the believer from a safe position, which is our passage. He gives unto us eternal life in John 10, 27 through 29. And they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My father, which gave them to me, is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. Our eternal security is based on the grace of God and the fact that eternal life is a gift and it is eternal. Um, and God told us that those that He justified in Romans 8.30, He will also glorify. There will come a day when you will be with Him. And the Bible says you will be like Him. You will no longer have this sinful body. You will have a perfect body. Uh, that will be great, right? Yeah. And, uh, but the, the thing is, you say, how do I know once saved, always saved? Well, because God gave you eternal life. That word eternal means forever. Not only that, he says, I've got you in my hand. If you're going to teach your kids anything this week with this verse, if they trust Jesus, he has them in his hand. And no one can take you out of that hand. This would be yourself. This would be another person. This would be a sin. Nothing. Nothing takes you out of the Father's hand. Ephesians 4.30 is my last verse. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. Part of the purpose of the Holy Spirit, exactly, is to seal you. Like sealed, like seal a tomb, like Jesus' tomb was sealed, like it's shut and ain't coming open. Well, he came out of it, through it probably, uh, stone rolled away. But the idea with this is that you're sealed and God, he's got you. Not only are you in Jesus' hand and God's hand, but the Holy Spirit says, I'm sealing you. Like it's, it's good. So uh, it's there.